Tag your it, but not if you are a running back. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $750 on average. Amber and Ian here with you. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So we got some tags today. We got some news that we're going to get the no tags as well. Let's start with the high profile player who got the tag in for the Cincinnati Bengals. T Higgins. He has been tagged. It seems like they're going to retain another weapon here for Joe Burrow. Obviously they also have to work out things with Jamar chase. T Higgins had an injury plagued season for them last season. Who didn't on that team though? 12 games, 42 receptions, 656 receiving yards, five touchdowns. I personally am not surprised by this. Ian, we ran through on Friday, where the best landing spot would be for some of these guys who were coming up here in free agency. And I fully expected since he was going to hit Higgins with the tag. Yeah. The, the moment the tag window opened, this was the automatic, uh, the one that, that was a no brainer. We don't know what's going to happen with Tampa because they have so many different guys. They have to, to look at whether it's Baker Mayfield or, you know, Mike Evans, which I don't think Mike Evans will be tagged. I don't think Baker Mayfield will be tagged, but they, they've got a lot of guys on, on that playoff team, but that, you know, somebody's going to get hit with it. I'm guessing Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, but this was the one, to your point, that uh, you made on Friday was just mark this one down. And not in pencil, in ink, T. Higgins is getting tagged. And by all accounts, he's okay with it. I mean, he's going to make some serious bank for a year. They still have, you know, till the uh, middle of the summer to sign him to a long-term deal. But I don't expect that to happen also. He's going to be, you know, playing on, on a tag year. I, I firmly believe that. And he's going to make some bank. But he's also, it's also a prove it. Like, hey, hey, you want to tag me again next year? See Kirk Cousins in Washington? That number goes up dramatically. Or somebody else, or the Bengals, sign him to a long-term deal. But you saw the reaction of his quarterback, Joe Burrow, at the Laker game with Jamar Chase. Both of them were thrilled uh, knowing that that was coming. You know, Zach Taylor's head coach, issued a statement today how thrilled he is to have T. Higgins sticking around and keeping the band together. Now they got to keep him healthy. But that was a no-brainer for the Bengals, right? Coming into day one of the combine, tag T. Higgins. It happened. And now go stack some wins. Yeah, they've got until July 15th to try to work out a long-term deal with Higgins. If they don't get that done, he'll be restricted to a one-year deal worth $21.816 million, uh, which is the league-wide franchise tag amount for wide receivers in 2024. Not a bad payday there for Higgins. And I think that the real point here is that they retain the weapon for Joe Burrow. The Bengals coming off of a super disappointing injury-riddled season. Obviously, T. Higgins, as I mentioned, part of that problem. But here you keep him on your roster. There's no reason to start taking weapons away from one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and a team that should be a serious contender next season if they're healthy. Go ahead and try to come back full strength. Give Joe Burrow the opportunities that you can give him with a healthy team. And also, Higgins an opportunity here to prove that he can stay healthy and that he can be a massive contributor when Burrow is back. Oh, absolutely. And again, he's making over, over 21 mil. That's not a bad year's worth of work. Yep. Uh, and being able to go and try and get back to the Super Bowl place they were just a few years ago. So we found out that he got tagged. We also found out, though, that there will be several several running backs who will, in fact, not get tagged, according to our very own Adam Schefter. Josh Jacobs, 
Saquon Barkley and Tony Pollard are all expected to become free agents. This is a star-studded free agency that we're seeing here this go-round. That's according to sources telling ESPN. And these are high, high-profile running backs that are going to be available. Now, assuming Tony Pollard is moving on from Dallas, you could see a Saquon. You could see a Derrick Henry. Yep. You could see a Josh Day. You could see these guys starting to take these pieces of some of these high-profile guys that we expect are not going to get tagged this go-around. I think you could start seeing a domino effect, just some of the moving, shifting some of these stars around, Ian. Yeah, and there's other guys also. I mean, Devin Singletary, uh, you know, you got DeAndre Swift. I mean, it's it's a deep running back year for guys that are that are hitting the free agent market, but to me, I mean, you mentioned the, the really big ones there. And, and Derrick Henry, you know, I think we all have this image of him like, okay, he's hitting that running back wall. Finally, the, this, the guy who is really not human, he's more of a cyborg, uh, you know, just this mass of humanity out of Alabama, has been a battering ram running back with breakaway speed at a unique size for so many years. Well, has his play dropped off a bit? Well, we have that image of him because Tennessee, his team, dropped off. And you know had a, had a losing record and, and has not made the playoffs. He had nearly two uh, twelve hundred yards rushing. He toted it two hundred and eighty times again last year. Mm-hmm. So is he averaging over five yards a carry as he was in years past? No, but still had twelve touchdowns. Still went for nearly twelve hundred yards. And to me, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, and you and I talked about this at the trade deadline, Dallas should have made that move then. Go get Derrick Henry, and then you could have slapped a tag on him this year if you wanted to. But you don't sign him to some long-term deal. I'm, I'm talking about a two-year. And Saquon also is, is in this conversation. Two-year, maximum three-year type deal. You don't run him 280, 300 times. You run him about 180 to 200 times. And you're still going to get remarkable production out of Derrick Henry. I do not think he's hit that running back wall yet. He's one of those rare guys. Saquon, he needs an offensive line. He needs other weapons. And he also has to stay healthy for back-to-back years. So... Mm-hmm. They're available, and but if I'm a Dallas Cowboys and I'm Will McClay, who really makes a lot of those football decisions now for the Dallas Cowboys, along with Stephen Jones, I'm taking a good, hard look at the pride of Alabama and Derrick Henry. When Zazla was filling in for you on Friday and we did the placement for all of these free agents and potential free agents on where we thought that they would be a best fit, I had Derrick Henry ending up in Dallas. I said, we're assuming, obviously, Tony Pollard is moving on here. I feel like D. Henry is a good fit there in Dallas for all the reasons that you just said. I had Saquon not ending up working things out with the Giants. The reports are that they're still in talk, so there could still be a deal that gets done here with the Giants, even though they're not going to tag him. I frankly don't expect there to be that from the Giant side. It seems like Saquon wants to stay there. So if he wants to take a massive discount, then fine. Maybe he ends up staying there. He's been pretty vocal about wanting to stay with the Giants. But assuming that doesn't happen, I had the Los Angeles Chargers as a good landing spot for Saquon Barkley. Austin Eckler is a player who the Chargers are, it seems like, going to move on from. Again, lots of moving pieces here. And the reports are about Josh Jacobs that the Raiders are still negotiating with him, so he could still end up on a deal with the Raiders even if he's not getting tagged. But I had Josh Jacobs going to Baltimore, a a back who's four years younger than Derrick Henry. I felt like he would be a better fit in Baltimore in that Ravens offense and give Lamar some help in the backfield. So I think we could see a lot of movement in the running back market. And these are huge names, Ian, that we're talking about. 
Yes, some of these guys are more towards the end of their careers from a running back perspective. However, huge, huge stars that do still have something left in the tank, even if you don't want to give them a five-year massive deal. Well, hell no. I mean, the guys we're talking about, zero chance I would, I would, I would give them a, a, any, anywhere beyond. Really, I'd be hesitant to go past two years right, but uh, I think with any of the guys I'm talking about. I think that gets confused by fans sometimes because I think we are talking about we talk about these guys like they're so over the hill. Right. And when we're talking about it, it's in terms of not wanting to hand them those massive deals, which, of course, they still want. But it's not meaning that they can't actually contribute to your team. Like if you're a Cowboys fan and you're getting Derrick Henry, you should be hella excited. It's the GM's. It's a front office. It's Jerry's job to figure out how to actually structure the contract so it doesn't hamstring you when he doesn't have anything left in the tank. Yeah. And look, for Derrick Henry, if you can get him on a two year deal deal you also go to the draft I mean it's not a it's not a a remarkably deep running back draft like like it is for wide receiver and offensive line those are the two deepest positions in the upcoming draft in April which we'll have right here on ESPN radio but like a Bucky Irving out of Oregon or Marshawn Lloyd at SC or Jalen Wright out of Tennessee I mean Trey Benson out of Florida State is one of the more underrated underappreciated players in this draft not just running backs but players so Blake Corum won't go till probably the fourth round because people are looking at him coming off, you know, that that injury he had two years ago, and he did not have the same burst this year that we saw previously. Well, when you come off that knee injury, it's normally the second year back mm-hmm. that you look to be the same player again. Blake Corum is a guy, I'm telling you, he will be in the third round. He's still going to be on the board. And mm-hmm. uh, the, so crazy. you're talking about depth. You go get a guy like Derrick Henry or a Saquon or a Josh Jacobs on a two-year deal maximum. We're stretching it with three, and you give them depth in the draft. Look at Isaiah Pacheco. He was a seventh-round pick out of Rutgers for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that dude is a machine. So you can find running backs in the draft, but to your point – Some of these older guys still have some tread left on their tires. Yes, they absolutely do have that. All right, I am proud of us for starting this show not talking about court storming. I'm very proud of us (laughs) for starting here uh, with these free agent running backs. But we're going to have to get to that whole court storming incident. It's Duke. It's all the headlines. It's not football season anymore, so it's stealing the show. That's next here on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
It was a huge win for Wake Forest over the Duke Blue Devils, but nobody's talking about the win. Nobody's talking about Wake and their tournament chances now, which took a huge leap forward after that 83-79 win over Duke. No one's talking about any of that. All anybody's talking about is the injury here to Kyle Filipowski. He was hobbled after a collision with a fan, as you heard on the way in. And so now, of course, Ian, it has sparked a conversation about the dangers of court storming. And it ain't football season, okay? So this thing that's, is going that, to take over the one. airwaves yep, you are <laughs> in a way on. that maybe ne- it never has before. Look, Caitlin Clark is the biggest star in in college basketball, men or women. Right, Hands college down, basketball, period. Yeah, Caitlin Clark is the biggest star going right now this year in college basketball. And she gets, you know, a, a shot to the gut after they lose at Ohio State in Columbus on January 21st. It was a mention here and there, and that was it. And she handled it post-game like a pro. She goes, I, I, I get court storming, I know. You know, but you know that she didn't see me. I didn't see her. Collision. Okay. This, to your point, you are spot on. Is dominating the overreaction Monday to the weekend in sports because it's not football season. Because we're not around the NFL draft. Because we're not in the NFL playoffs. You know, or right after the national championship in college football, like Caitlin Clark's incident was at Ohio State, and it's Duke. So the combination of those two is why this is such a massive story and arguably their best player in Filipowski. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not over the top on should you ban court storming or ban field storming or allow it. I mean, it's been around forever. We've had some remarkable, you know, historic moments like Jim Valvano in 83, you know, running around looking for you know, his guy to hug while students, you know, and the fans storm the court. Uh, but in this in this sports society we live in today, Amber, my biggest takeaway from this is that we try to change, make a rule against so many things. Like Josh Allen didn't touch the ball in overtime. Let's change the NFL overtime rules to give both teams a shot. I mean, why? Because Josh Allen didn't get a chance in, in, in a remarkable and a hypnotic playoff game. Handshake lines. Got to get rid of those. I mean, why? Because, you know, once every three years, you, you get a bunch of knuckleheads going at it in a handshake line. So this one, to your point, not football season, and it's Duke is why this is such a massive conversation. And Myron Metcalf has a great piece up on ESPN.com right now where John Shire, who you just heard from in that rejoin, head coach at Duke, Bill Self, and others are calling for court storms to be banned immediately. And I think that is, again, our sports society we live in. It's just a grotesque overreaction. So I don't agree with you about the overreaction portion of this. I do agree that it's dominating the conversation from an hour airwaves and everybody else at the network levels airwaves because it's not football season. It's why it's getting more attention than the Caitlin Clark incident got. And, And I also wonder if there's some trepidation there about not wanting to temper the excitement at all in any of the fanfare around women's basketball in a way that maybe we don't feel the same way about around Duke. (laughs) Maybe people want to temper the fanfare there uh, when it comes to that. Because, of course, it's the Duke Blue Devils that are being very vocal about this because normally they're the ones that they're watching the court stormers and are on the court when this is happening to them over and over because they're Duke, right? So I can understand some of the Blue Bloods. Yeah. Right. It's the Blue Bloods. I can understand the frustration from the Blue Bloods because they're the ones that are normally the ones in the danger here because it's happening over and over and over again. I get that from that perspective. But I don't agree with you when it comes to the overreaction 
in the sense that nothing needs to be done about it. Because I think court storming is certifiably insane. I have never understood it. I don't understand field storming. I don't understand court storming. It is the lawyer in me. I cringe every single time. From a liability perspective, all you are doing is asking for so many problems. Of course you're asking for fans to get trampled and hurt. Of course you're asking for players to get in altercations with fans or coaches to get in altercations with fans. You are just inviting the problems over and over over and over again. And I don't know why anybody would allow that situation. It seems silly to me. It also falls on deaf ears to me. The conversation that I keep hearing today of, well, what can you do about it? You can't do anything about it. You can't keep thousands of people off of a court. And that seems insane to me because, by the way, this doesn't happen at every arena. It doesn't happen with every team. It doesn't happen at the NBA level, but I'm talking about in college basketball in and of itself. I mean, I went to Florida, and so maybe that's why I feel so differently about this thing than a lot of people with the court storming. And the field storming, it's not something traditionally that we do. Now, we did it in 2022, I think, was the last time that they stormed the court there at Florida in the O-Dome. They hadn't done it since 1986 before that. So I don't remember ever seeing it in all my years as a Gators fan because quite literally I hadn't because I doubt I was watching much Gators basketball when I was a baby. So I hadn't seen it until 2022 when it happened one time and then Florida got hit with a massive fine from the SEC. The SEC hits these schools with massive fines that increase rapidly. Quarter of a million dollars you can be hit with. I know that in football. It's It's quarter of a million for basketball, I think, on your third, uh, third court storm or second infraction. It's not... First infraction, I think it's like 100 grand or something or 150, whatever it is. I don't have it in front of me. But the point is, that's one way that the SEC takes care of this in basketball. The other way you mentioned there with the field storming, the other thing as a Gators fan, I have never, ever seen Florida Field at Ben Hill Griffin ever in my life stormed. You know why, Ian? Because it's never been stormed ever, ever, not once. The Gators fans have never once stormed the field. You know who also has never done that? Alabama, the school you went to. They have never once stormed the field. Those are almost 100,000 people at both of those schools. You're telling me that you can keep 100,000 people off of a field, but you can't keep 20,000 off of a court? Come on, get out of here. It's ridiculous. Well, a lot to unfold there. because I've been on the field as a field analyst and reporter for a lot of field storms. Uh, two at Ohio, three at Ohio State. Uh, the RG3 Oklahoma game, you know, I mean, I got crushed with Gatorade in a post-game interview with, with RG3 uh, when he threw that remarkable touchdown in the last second to beat Oklahoma uh, to Terrence Williams in the right corner of the end zone, uh, two or three at LSU. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, heck, there's a damn near a media field storm at, for the national championship every year. You know what that's like trying to find, like, a Blake Corm at the end of the game in the middle of all that hell? I mean, it, it's insane. Uh, but – so the, and, I, and I've never been hurt. I've had my 15-year-old daughter as my runner at, at LSU Alabama overtime. Jaden Daniels, right, right corner of the end zone, touchdown, ball game, field storm. I mean, the entire world, the state of Louisiana, set foot on Death Valley. And I just told my daughter Rowan, grab my back of my suit and hang on. We're going for a ride. And it was a blast. It's one of my favorite daddy-daughter moments I've ever had with my oldest daughter Rowan. It was remarkable. So I, I don't have a problem with it. But there are ways to, again, just to go back to basketball and what happened with Duke and, 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 and also Caitlin Clark at Ohio State, you know, is, you know, before, before, you know, there's only like maybe two or three of these games. Every school knows this. That's on your schedule going in that you look at and go, all right, that, hey, we might have a court storm here. 
have protocols in place. Rope off with, with security the opposing bench. And if it's going to the wire, have protocol in place. Put up on the Jumbotron and, and have your PA announcer. Students, if you storm the court, you know, you know, and you run into an opposing player, you can be suspended. Fans, if you storm the court and run into any opposing team member, you can be banned from future games. You know, or if you want to have 20 cops out there, right, or, you know, lining around the court for 60 seconds to make sure the opposing team gets off, all, okay. There are ways to, and to your point, Amber, to prevent all of this. Because it, right now, when fans storm the court, you're, it's like going into the ocean and blaming the shark for biting you. You're on their turf. And I, by the way, if Filipowski, if he wanted to haul off and knock the snot out of that guy, I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with it. Because guess what? You're in the water. Oh, the He's the shark. Changing. He's the shark. <laughs> and put it on the back of the ticket. Put it on the back of the ticket. Kyle, do not listen to the infant Simmons advice. I, I know. Assumption of the risk. Whatever. We can have that conversation. Nobody should be hauling off and punching anybody because this shouldn't be a situation that should even happen. Players should not go into the stands. The fans should not come onto the court. I, it's pretty simple to yeah. go ahead and prevent these things. At the very least, you have to delay it. There, there the are ways. There are ways. Yeah. Delay there it. are ways to avoid it. I, I, absolutely. But let's There's not ways go to control all of it. Yes. The conversation that we can't do anything about it is completely asinine. Of that course, they can on. do something about it. They do it at, at so many different arenas, so many different fields. They do it all over professional sports. Of course, you can do things about it. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, a three-time Super Bowl champion, ten-time Pro Bowler is going to weigh in. That's next here on ESPN Radio. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Sixteen seasons with the New England Patriots. It was a hell of a career for Matthew Slater. There is no other way to say it. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. So let's bring in the man, the myth, the legend. Matthew Slater, three-time Super Bowl champ, five-time first-team All-Pro. And Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. First and foremost, you had, I think, the most beautifully written retirement message that I've ever seen. And I am a Dolphins fan, so I do not like to compliment Patriots at all. But this thing was gorgeous. Are you going into writing now that you're retired from the NFL? Well, first of all, good evening, and thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I can't take too much credit for that statement. My wife had to do a ton of editing to get it right. So I, I certainly appreciate her help with it. And, you know, it means a lot to be able to express my thanks and gratitude for 16 of the best years of my life. Man, I, I know we've talked to you about this before, Matthew. And, again, gracious for you to join us here on ESPN Radio. We really appreciate your time. But for people who may have missed our previous conversations, uh, 16 years, man. Uh, what kept bringing you back year in, year out? Because it wasn't like you were a quarterback that they couldn't breathe on you, man. You, you, were, you were out there swapping blood and painting and, and everything else. What kept bringing you back? You know, honestly, it's just my, my love for the game of football. 
you know, you mentioned my statement. I talked about it a little bit, but as a youngster, I saw my dad uh, have the opportunity to pursue his dream of playing in the NFL, and, and I saw the love that he had and the respect that he had for the game, and that really became contagious. Uh, ever since I can remember, I just love to play the game. I love everything about it, the, the preparation, the grind, uh, but most of all, the opportunity that you have to spend with great people and, and do life with those people. And, you know, I, I maxed it out. I did it as long as I could. I'm just thankful for the journey. A heck of a journey that it was. You were raised by a Hall of Famer. Obviously, this game has been an integral part of your life for your entire life. Matthew, Matthew Slater joining us here on Amber and Ian. So how long have you known that this would be the point, that this would be the right time for you to hang it up? Well, yeah, you know, my my family and I, the last couple of years, have really been taking some time after the season to think about and pray about what the future was looking like. You know, our family is continuing to grow we have four young children and you know i'm i'll be 39 in the fall so i i think we had a pretty good inkling going into the season that this would be our last go around it felt like it would be a good time to walk away um you know and i'm just thankful that i had the opportunity to get to walk away on my own terms usually the game is done with you before you're done with it so uh you know really a blessing to go out there and be able to play some some football this year and then walk away healthy yeah, Amber referenced your, your Hall of Fame dad, the great Jackie Slater. So at what point, by the way, growing up with a Hall of Fame dad and one of the best to ever play offensive line in the NFL, at what point did you get to the two actually realize, you know what, I think I can take dad. I got him. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 38 years old, and I'm still not sure that I can take him. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's 6'5", and he played – he finished his career at about 320 – and I'm a, I'm six foot, and I'm nowhere near 320. So I'm still not sure that I can take uh, the old man yet. He's got to be close <laughs> to 70 by now, man. Or right in his early 70s. So uh, that that's 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 some serious mental part, right? One of the one of, <laughs> one, one of these, one of these days, days you got him. <laughs> I believe in you, Matthew Slater, three-time Super Bowl champ, joining us here on Amber and Ian. I mean, obviously, your resume is unbelievably impressive. Three Super Bowls, five uh, first-team All-Pros. I mean, we can go through the whole thing. Being raised by a dad of that caliber as well, a Hall of Famer, does that raise the bar so high that you constantly throughout your career feel the need to compare yourself? Or is it because you had such a different career that you never really felt that pressure? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I'll start by saying this. My dad did everything in his power to keep me from playing football. Uh, you know, part of it was he didn't want me to have to experience the comparisons, which, you know, those were inevitable once I started playing the game. But he also knew the grind of the game, the injuries. So he really didn't want me to play. But, you know, once I did start playing, we were so different in who we were as players. Uh, I never felt the pressure to live up to the name or anything like that, you know. Uh, one guy, an offensive lineman, the other guy, a career special teamer. Our career arcs were, were very, very different. Um, but, you know, what I did do was try to lean on his wisdom and his advice in terms of what it took to be a pro, the commitment to the craft, the commitment to cultivating relationships and being a glue guy. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we both had the journey that we had. You, you know, and speaking of Hall of Fame, I'm a, I, I will, I'll die on this hill, man. Steve Tasker should already be in Canton. 
Uh, and I don't think special teams guys like yourself and Steve uh, get the credit that you all deserve. So once Steve goes in, what would that mean to you to join your pops in Canton? Because I've talked to several voters. They believe once Tasker goes in, you're next. Well, you know, it, it, it's very surreal to have you ask me that question. It's not something that I've spent any amount of time thinking about. Uh, I've just tried to keep my head down and, and do my job to the best of my ability. One thing I'll say about Steve is he was certainly an inspiration for me uh, throughout the course of my career. And when you talk about a guy who really paved the way for a position in the NFL in terms of just a core special teams player, he's the guy. Um, Without Steve Tasker, I truly believe I never have an opportunity to have a career. So I certainly believe Steve belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yes, I, I am biased, but, you know, I look at his career and what he was able to accomplish and, and really the, the trail that he blazed forward, and guys like me owe him a ton of things. So if I had a vote, Steve would have my very first vote. Hey, look, and you're going to be right behind him. Uh, Matthew Slater, 16 years with the Patriots, uh, three, a three-time Super Bowl champ, joining us here on ESPN Radio. Just announced his retirement last week, and it was a remarkable, remarkable journey. And, uh, look, Bill Belichick, I mean, he, he's sitting out also. He, I mean, he, he's, he doesn't have a job right now. I mean, you retired, and he still, he still wants to coach. How does your former head coach for so many years, how does he relate to younger players in this generation that's coming up? Yeah, you know what? The, the one thing that I know about this younger generation of guys is, you know, they don't like any hidden agendas or having to deal with any nonsense. They want coaches who are going to be honest and straightforward, and certainly coaches who are going to be invested in them as people. And, and the one thing I always appreciated about playing for Bill was there was no nonsense. I always knew where I stood. Um, I always knew what was expected of me, and, and I knew whether or not I was doing my job. And I think there's always going to be a room for a guy like that in the NFL, Um, you know, a straight shooter who is really no nonsense. And, you know, I'm as shocked as anyone uh, that Coach is not going to be coaching this year. Uh, I'm very disappointed, actually. But, you know, I believe that in the future, one of these teams is going to rise up and get themselves the, the best coach that's ever coached a game. Matthew Slater joining us here on Amber and Ian. So he's not coaching this year. Obviously, things look very different in New England moving forward, not just without you, since you've been such a staple there for so long, but with Gerard Mayo now as the head coach there. What do you make of the changes in the future here for the New England Patriots? Well, you know, I think the future is bright for the team. I'm so excited for Gerard. Gerard is a very, very close friend of mine. We were in the same draft class in 2008 so we've known each other for 16 years now and I've gotten a chance to see him grow and become you know just a wonderful man but the one thing I'll say about Gerard is he's his own man and he's going to lead the way he sees fit and it's going to be very different and you know I think the guys in that locker room are really going to rally around Gerard um, and his leadership he's his his energy is uh, just contagious and and guys are going to love that so you know, there, uh, there are a couple of things that they're going to have to sure up, which will be interesting to see how this offseason goes. And, you know, there's there's a process of learning how to win for younger players. And I think that process has been started. And, you know, I'm excited. Well, Matthew, I, I look, again, we believe that, that you know, your, your final spot is going to be in Canton once Tasker gets in. We, we believe that's going to open the, the gates up for – 
for a spot for yourself as well. 16 years, I mean, my gosh, 10 Pro Bowls, five you know, first-team All-Pros, and three rings. That resume pretty much speaks for itself. But we want to the lighter side. Give us one of your favorite behind-the-scenes locker room moments, whether it was after a Super Bowl win, whether it was snapping Tom Brady on the butt with a towel, whatever it might be. What's one of your favorite moments you had in that New England locker room that nobody knows about? Well, you know, I, one of my favorites, and it, it really captures uh, Brady to a T, is you know we won our, our fourth Super Bowl, which was my first in 2014. And, you know, you talk about Tom Brady, and, and people will be talking about him as long as the game of football is played. And this is when it hit me that he was different. We won the game, and, you know, I'm celebrating – uh, like it's Prince, it's 1999. I'm I'm ready to go. Like, let's go have a good time. I'm in the locker room, jumping around, and and I go over to Tom's locker. He's kind of sitting there by himself, and I was like, "Hey, man, we just got you your fourth. You're the greatest of all time. You know, you just tied Montana. They can't deny you now." And he looks at me. The smile comes off his face. And he says, now we got to go do it again, Slate. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm not thinking about doing it again. I'm trying to enjoy this right now. But that, uh, to me, really painted the picture in terms of Tom's commitment to excellence and greatness. And it was a, it was a great lesson for me in complacency and competitive stamina. And, you know, I took that for the latter half of my career and tried to uh, duplicate it as best I could. But... To be able to play with a man who I consider uh, the greatest football player of all time was a, an extreme honor, and I'll always cherish memories like that uh, for as long as I live. Wow. Matthew, we don't want to take up too much more of your time because we really appreciate you, but quickly here on the way out, what is the next chapter for Matthew Slater? Are you coming for our jobs? Oh, I'm I'm not coming for your job. You guys do your job uh, too well <laughs> for me to try to aspire to do that. But, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm weighing my options. Obviously, I have a, a passion for football and a passion for leadership and relationship building. So I'm going to see where the good Lord leads me. I, I, I'm not in a hurry to make a decision, um, but I know I'm way too young to retire. So this is a transition, and I look forward to the next chapter. But, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is be a husband and be a dad and just enjoy some family time. That's awesome. We all look forward to the next chapter, uh, whenever it is that we get to see you in the public sphere again. Matthew Slater, three-time Super Bowl champ, five-time first-team All-Pro, a decade and a half plus with the New England Patriots. Just an unbelievable career. Thanks so much for your time, Matthew. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great night. See you, 18. He's one of the best. Come, oh, I mean, he's just great. one of the best. I mean, I'm glad he's not coming for our jobs or we would be so screwed. Coming <laughs> up <listens>. next year... <laughs> On Amber and Ian. Are Russell Wilson's goals for the end of his career too lofty? That's next. Russell Wilson wants the world to know that he is hungrier than he's ever been at 35 years old, and also, very emphatically, that he wants to stay in Denver. Ian, Amber and Ian, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So Russell Wilson keeps saying it, that he wants to stay in Denver. 
I'm not sure Denver wants Russell Wilson to stay in Denver, but Russ seems to want to stay in Denver. Here is Russell Wilson, the Broncos quarterback, on the I Am Athlete podcast on his desire still to win another ring. So you sitting here at 35, say you feel the best you've ever felt. Do you still have that obsession? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through. Whether it's in Denver or somewhere else, I I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I I love the city and everything else. But, you know, you also want to be a place that that wants you too. So the thing that I I, I want to do is is, is win, man. That's That's all I care about. Okay. We all we all know the one that jumped out at us there, right? That that one little part of when he said, "Over the next five years, I want to win two. I want to feel the chill of holding that trophy again." Our producer tonight, Terrace Lejeski, is in for James Steele. Had a great line in our pre-show meeting. So he wants to be the backup for the Kansas City Chiefs because <laughs> that's the only way he's winning two in five years. If you're backing up Patrick Mahomes and Terrace, I say, Sister Sledge, you are spot on. He's living in a fairy tale world. I mean, yeah, until Cinderella said hello. Because it's 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 not reality. Now, you know, if you if people said I want to win another one, okay, yeah, all right, well, of course you do. You're a competitor. You're an athlete. But here's the also the the reality. This isn't fairy tale. This is this, this is reality. The last, your last two teams have said no, thank you. We don't want you anymore. Seattle, get out. Denver, get out. Now, he's still technically there, but he ain't going to be for long because whomever gets him is going to get him for league minimum because, you know, the Denver Broncos are on the hook for, what, $37 million this year. And he's, he's obviously not going to be on that roster in about three weeks because he'll be owed another, what, what is it, like $38 million next year or whatever it is, or twenty five. It's a monster number. He's not going to be in Denver. We all know that. But the reality is his last two teams that he's played for, I said, thank you, but no thank you. Get out. If he's released this offseason, Denver would owe him $39 million in guaranteed money yep. and eat a record-setting $85 million in dead cap space. But don't mistake this. This is about the money. And I think that that gets confused when we're talking about Russell Wilson because then people talk about Russell Wilson like he's not – a starting quarterback anymore in the NFL. And, and that's not it. It's just, is he a starting quarterback for that level of money? And does Denver want to be committed to the money, even though they're going to be either way this next upcoming season? Do they want to be committed to it moving forward if they don't see him as a future there or the answer there? On a vet men, there's a ton of teams that are going to be interested in the type of production that he put up because the reality is he was better this past season. He was better under Sean Payton. He was better there in his second year with the Denver Broncos. 15 games, about a 66.5% percentage completion percentage there, over 3,000 yards, 26 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions, another three rushing touchdowns. The numbers aren't terrible by any means. The numbers aren't top 10 quarterback numbers, but the numbers certainly aren't bad. And so if you believe Russell Wilson still has something to offer and you can get him on the Jeep, there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested in that opportunity, Ian. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But for him to be thinking that he's going to win two chips in five years, go be Mahomes' backup and you'll actually achieve that goal. But you want to be a starter? I mean, if I'm Pittsburgh... You know, there's two guys I'm looking at, Justin Fields first and then Russell Wilson. If I'm the Atlanta Falcons, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Justin Fields first and then Russell Wilson. So I agree with you. Is he a starter still in this league? Yeah. But is is he a high-end starter in this league? 
No, because he's got some diva to him too. I mean, that's what got him run out of Seattle, and that's what and that's what you know. And then Nathaniel Hackett, what all of that. I put half of that on Russell and half of that on the front office and the coaching staff. Just giving him, uh, you want a private jet? You want to fly your own on, on a, your own plane to get to away games? Uh, well, you know, well, that, that's an exaggeration for effect, folks. That actually didn't happen. But it did not I mean, happen. We do not yeah. need to pile on. He asked for a parking, but, a parking space. He got a but, parking space and his own and, office and, an office. and all and this stuff. Everyone lost yeah, their damn mind. I mean, you it, and I feel very str- differently, very, very differently about it, that scenario. He lost, I, he's it, the quarterback. He's a quarterback that's won a Super Bowl. He's a quarterback that's been a Super Bowl MVP. He'd been in the league for over a decade and had a hell of a career, a Hall of Fame worthy career, frankly, already at that point before he stepped foot in Denver. Denver brings oh, him I don't, there. I don't think he's and a Hall of Famer. And people freak out. He's not a Hall of Famer right now. Well, I think a lot of people thought he was before, pe- before he things went south in Denver. He was and, certainly and going then, that direction. Then he hit the ditch he the steps, size of a Grand Canyon. And that's fine. But he steps foot in Denver as that kind of quarterback, and everyone's so horrified that he gets a parking space and an office. It's like us being horrified around here because Stephen A. Smith and Greeny get more perks than the no, rest of us. It, I mean, that's just how the – it's just life, man. Like, those dudes have accomplished more. They get paid more. They have better ratings, whatever. Yeah. Like, that's just the reality of – of life and Russell Wilson had accomplished a lot in the league when he got to Denver. That's why I said I blame Russ for half of it and the organization for half of that for for entitling him. And if I you know you also want to endear yourself to your new teammates, but also you know like Drew Brees. I heard Drew Brees on Super Bowl week with uh, with Carlin versus Joe, and he and they asked him about Russ and what happened with Sean Payton's offense, and he had a great answer. He goes, "Look, I'm not banging on Russ here, but I know what that offense looks like, and that wasn't it." I mean, there's a tempo to it and a Christmas to it and a crispness to it, and that wasn't it. So, I mean, he ain't, he ain't going to be in Denver. He may want to, but as my mom once told me, life is full of wants but can't haves. And, he, and so he's gonna have, he is seeking life elsewhere. Can he be a starter? Yeah, he can, but he's going to have to check some of that ego too, also at the, at the door because I think if he hasn't been humbled by his last two teams saying, we don't want you anymore, then I don't know what will. Well, I don't, I mean, the situation in Denver, again, it's so dependent on the money. And at the end of the day, it was Denver who decided to pay him that money. So you end up being a victim of your own worth at one point, right? Like of your own contract. I mean, the contract's overinflated and it ends up costing you your job at the end. We see that in every industry and that's the risk that's run. Because again, people would have a very different attitude about Russell Wilson if he wasn't this kind of paid. And that's, exactly the situation that Denver's trying to fix. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, could the Warriors actually make a deep playoff run this season? Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 